bringing a cell or gene therapy to market is an art. Hear Veristat thought leaders as they draw on their specialized expertise to offer insight on timely, relevant clinical development topics. Welcome to ART Podcasts, Advancing Revolutionary Therapies, a podcast presented by the Centre for Excellence for Cell and Gene Therapies by Veristat. My name is Rachel Smith. I'm a Portfolio Director here at Veristat, working with our clients in cell and gene therapies, providing operational excellence from strategic consulting to clinical trials and post-marketing commitments. Today I'll be discussing the common pitfalls to avoid when planning your gene therapy study. You may have already listened to the first podcast in this series, presented by my excellent regulatory colleague, Kevin Hennigan, on the common pitfalls to avoid when planning your cell therapy study. Naturally, there is some overlap between the two. And if you haven't listened to Kevin's podcast yet, then I encourage you to do so to gain a view of the nuances between these revolutionary therapies. The objective of today's podcast are to discuss the definitions of gene therapy in the EU and the US, and to outline some of the most common hurdles we've identified when managing gene therapy programmes. So how is a gene therapy defined? In the EU, the EMA defines these as therapies that contains genes that lead to a therapeutic, prophylactic or diagnostic effect. They work by inserting recombinant genes into the body, usually to treat a variety of diseases, including genetic disorders, cancer, or long-term diseases. The US definition is slightly different and defines this as a therapy that seeks to modify or manipulate the expression of a gene or to alter the biological properties of living cells for therapeutic use. Now that we've defined the product class, let's move on to the common pitfalls we at Veristat have seen for gene therapy programmes. The first I'd like to discuss is the variability we see across international regulators. Whilst in the US, the landscape is fairly consistent with non-gene therapy products in that we need an active IND and IRB approval. We also need to obtain additional reviews at the IRB level, such as biosafety committees for this product type. In other regions, it's not quite as straightforward. For example, in Israel, the current Ministry of Health submission process does not actually accommodate these types of studies, and so we routinely have to go down a far more complex genetic study submission route, which was actually originally designed for genomic trials. To overcome this, a close working relationship with regulators, particularly in less experienced regions, is crucial and something the Veristat team is used to managing. Even within the EU, the EMA have set out guidelines to harmonise advanced therapy trials, there is still regional variability. A key example is additional GMO approvals. So we need these approvals in place to be able to perform any genetically modified research within, um, within the EU. And it actually falls outside of clinical trial regulations. Each country has a different process and can even apply the definitions of contained use GMO versus deliberately released GMO differently to the same product. And as you can imagine, that can significantly slow down startup timelines. Then thinking about the clinical trial directive itself, this sets out a fixed 90-day submission to approval timeline for advanced therapy trials. However, this can also be variable depending on the countries involved. So for example, in Italy, ministerial decree allows for an additional 180 days to be requested by the competent authority, IFA, for specialist review of these trials. So it's not great if you're getting to the submission stage, expecting a 90-day turnaround and an additional six months is added to your timelines. It's vitally important to work with a team experience in navigating the regulatory landscape 
and who can guide you with respect to country selection and timeline management. The next pitfall I'd like to discuss is patient safety. Though gene therapy research has advanced significantly since the first gene therapy was approved in 2012, we are still in the infancy when it comes to understanding the long-term impact of these therapies on patient safety. No doubt if you are listening to this podcast, you will have seen the various gene therapy gone wrong headlines over the past few decades. Designing your clinical program with patient safety at the forefront is critical. For ex vivo gene therapies, donor screening requirements must be considered. This is a requirement in key regions such as Europe and the US to ensure the safety and quality of the starting material from your donor, regardless of whether your product is allogeneic or autologous. Both the EMA and FDA have published lists of infectious agents that must be screened, and I encourage you to review these when preparing your clinical development plans as they do differ, particularly if you intend to perform your clinical trials in both regions or market your product in both regions in the future. Other aspects for assuring safety are things that you must may be familiar with from trials in other product classes, such as the inclusion of sentinel dosing groups, dose escalation in early phase studies, and the use of data or safety monitoring committees, as well as ensuring you have clearly defined stopping rules within your study protocol. A high rigour of safety monitoring is also needed. Some of the safety monitoring assessments important for gene therapy include immunogenicity studies, which look at antibodies against the transgene, the core of your product, and may mean the development of new assays at the preclinical stage, which can add time and cost to your development programme. Monitoring of autoimmune responses, particularly when it comes to cell-based gene therapies, is also important. In addition, insertion site analysis should be performed, so either to ensure that the transgene insertion does not favour oncogenes, thus increasing the risk of post-treatment cancers, but also to monitor for off-target events within the patient's genes. We also need to look at off-target events in non-intended parts of the body, so either via genetic imaging or biological material studies. A great example of this was a recent gene therapy treatment for the eye, where the viral-based gene therapy actually migrated from the treated eye to the untreated eye. Though in this case the impact was beneficial, it highlights the potential risk. The use of replicant competent viral vectors is rare in gene therapy studies. However, replicant deficient vectors are favoured and there is still a risk that the viral vector may mutate into an RC vector. And so monitoring for this is critical. Vector shedding in viral-based therapies may also need to be monitored to ensure that we're avoiding transmission of the transgene to untreated individuals, though the risk is actually significantly reduced when we're using replication-deficient therapies, which form the majority of gene therapy. Finally, establishing monitoring methods for demonstrating persistence of your gene therapies of ultimate importance particularly where your therapy is aimed at lifelong persistence, for example, curative gene therapies for monogenetic diseases like Stromvelis for ADA skid. Moving on to the next pitfall, traceability requirements. Though in theory, the traceability of a gene therapy product is similar to that of any investigational drug. In practice, this can be much more complex. For example, let's take an autologous ex vivo gene therapy. Every single cell from cell collection to manufacturing to transplant needs to be tracked. A robust vein-to-vein chain of custody process with step-by-step documentation needs to be implemented. And the complexity is only increased a hundredfold when introducing multiple regions in global studies. So working with a team and a courier with experience in this setting is a must. 
As you can imagine, this is logistically challenging and leads me nicely into the penultimate pitfall, logistics. The sheer nature of these studies throws up a multitude of logistical challenges from patient identification and recruitment, site training, consistency of gene therapy administration and patient follow-up to name a few. Planning your studies around local practices and the patient journey is essential for success. Here at Veristat we've created an adaptable toolkit for managing each unique aspect of gene therapy trial logistics. For example, we created a central site model where patients undergo screening, self-harvest of applicable and treatment and experience central site and return home for either remote or local follow-up. Now, follow-up itself is one of the most common pitfalls and this leads me to our final, final piece. We touched on the unknowns around long-term safety and persistence of gene therapies and it's usually a regulatory requirement to follow treated patients for anywhere between 5 and 15 years, depending on the type of gene therapy. Though regulators are flexible on how this follow-up is managed, so whether we utilise a registry study, a formal long-term follow-up trial, or we even think about working with national networks such as the EBMT in Europe to monitor these patients long-term. Whatever the design, including a plan for long-term follow-up, in time for the first patient rollover in your overall programme is an absolute must. So the podcast today was really intended to be a high-level overview of our experience, the most common issues that we see in these gene therapy programmes. The take-home message is essentially that lack of planning can cause significant delays with your development programme. So addressing all these issues up front in your clinical development plan will ensure success and ultimately will get these therapies to patients faster. Veristat managed clinical trials for the first gene therapy to be approved in the Western world. And as trailblazers, we continue to be actively involved at the cutting edge of this field. We encourage you to listen to future episodes of this podcast as we delve deeper into some of these issues and other important topics in cell and gene therapy. I hope this has been valuable to you. Please reach out to our expert teams through the links available on the Veristat website should you have any questions and we'll be back talking to you very soon. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast player and look for our other Cell and Gene podcasts at cellandgene.expert.